Terangi Hirua was born in Urenui, Taranaki, home to Ngāti Mutunga. He spent part of his life in the Wairarapa, attended Teote Boys College, where he would become ducks. After his time at medical school at Otago University, it was politics that came upon him by default when James Tudi Carroll encouraged Hirua to participate in a by-election for the Northern Māori seat, which was vacated after the death of Hone Heke Ngāpua of Ngāpuhi. Following a by-election, Hirua was successful and held the seat until 1914. He worked as a medical officer both in the Pacific Islands and, during World War I, in the Middle East. He was an anthropologist, military leader, health administrator and would produce many publications documenting his work and research. In this next segment, we head back to 1949. It's 50 years since Terangi Hirua attended Otago Medical School in his early 20s. He's at a civic reception in Dunedin. I know that Dunedin is one of the best city in uh, New Zealand. I, uh, I know it, not from hearsay, but for experience of having lived here for over six years. And anything that anybody can say about Dunedin and its, and its people has my very sincere support. Uh, I came here as a medical student in 1899. So it's rather curious that uh, this year my visit to, to uh, Dunedin should be the 50th anniversary of my coming. And uh, <clears throat> the, in those days I came down in fear and trembling. I, it was a, rather a big thing for people of Maori blood to uh, enter the university, and particularly such a difficult school as the medical school. And uh, I remember uh, my compatriot, Weerapa, Tutere Weerapa, he and I both came from Te on government scholarships. And when we entered the medical school and went up the stairs and saw the announcement of prices for various parts of the human, of Maori skeletons. <laughs> this has been mentioned before, I believe, but I'll say it again. When he saw that there was a price on the skull and a little more if it had the jawbone with it and various other parts, we were so horrified, we were up and I, that we almost turned around and went back. But we soon that uh, fear or dread of the remnants or relics of mortality. Now, not only have I an attachment at Nuneaton because of having uh, uh, gone to the university here and being a graduate of the University of Otago, but I think I have some sort of racial uh, connection. It is true that my mother was full Maori and my sympathies have been with her people. It is also true that my father was Irish and the family came from the north of Ireland. I've been told, it may be wrong anthropology, but I've always heard that the north of Ireland really was quite an important place in the old days, and that Scotland was peopled from the north of Ireland. <laughs> and so we have a certain affinity in that way. In that way. But my whole life has been a series of, uh, of uh, what shall I say, accidents in a way, 
probably due to the Irish blood that was in me that I should always be blundering into something else and that that something else proved to be the way really that I should have gone. Now, I graduated in medicine in 1904 and went into the health department and I was getting on quite well as a medical officer, at least I thought I was, and uh, uh, there was a member of parliament for the Northern Maori electorate who was very popular, one of the younger school, and we had formed this young Maori party with the younger educated generation of Maoris who wanted to do something to help on the, the advancement of their people. This man, Honeheke, went, uh, was elected, he'd been elected before, but he was elected to the Northern Maori electorate in 1908. And just at the beginning of 1909, he died at Wellington. And uh, the various chiefs, and Sir James Carroll, uh, various chiefs from the southern part of the North Island, took the body back to Kaikohe, way up in the North Auckland Peninsula, or Northlands, as they call it now. It's taboo to say the North Auckland Peninsula. It's Northlands, most wonderful place in New Zealand, uh, next to Dunedin, of course. And they, they took the body back, and... Uh, I was quite innocent of what was going on, uh, but a certain political uh, atmosphere grew up. And Hecke's mother, who was a very, very uh, able woman, uh, she felt that her people, the family, not only the family, but the tribes of the North, were under an obligation to the tribes of the South, for her, that is the southern part of the North Island, for bringing the body of their son back to rest with his ancestors in the tribal burial place. So at one of the gatherings, at one of the meetings, uh, to, at which Sir James Carroll and the others were present, of course, at one of these meetings, she uh, stood up and made a speech. And amongst the Maoris, it's not usual for women to, to speak. They, they do their influence in the house and at home, and of course their husbands speak in the tribal meetings as their wives have dictated. <laughs> the, the, uh, so Mahika's mother stood up at this meeting and said, uh, what can we do to show our uh, obligation or to repay our obligation to the chiefs of the South for bringing back our dead son? And the only thing I can think of, she said, the only worthy way is that the widow of our dead son should be married to a chief of the South. Now, the Maoris and Polynesians are, are fond of using indirect language. And really, it's more fun to use indirect language because you can interpret it in many ways <laughs> and uh, in the way that you like. But this meant that she regarded the seat in Parliament, the Northern Maori electorate, which had already been won by her son in the, in the election of 19, at the end of 1908, she regarded that as his widow for three years. He'd earned it at the public, uh, uh, public uh, what, uh, the election. And the idea was that this seat in Parliament should be given to one of the chiefs of the South and for the people to agree to it. Well, Carol, Sir James Carroll, who was a great diplomatist, diplomatist and who knew the Maoris well and politics well as well, uh, he stood 
up, and he said he would consider it and give an answer later on. He never said a word to me, but to my horror, on the subsequent day, he got up, and there were two high chiefs in the north, one from Topo and one from Otaki, who had stood for the Western electorate. And Carroll got rid of them by saying that he thought their rank was so high that they shouldn't step down from the platform of high, <laughs> of high chieftainship to mingle with the rabble in a public uh, uh, election in which all sorts of uh, mudslinging takes place. And having removed them, then he said he had somebody to offer, uh, to suggest, as a husband for the widow, uh, somebody who was like their dead son, who spoke both languages and had the same aspirations, and he mentioned the name of Tarangi Hiroa. That's my Māori name. Because there was nobody more shocked than, uh, than uh, almost paralyzed than I was. But I couldn't do anything. I never had any aspirations towards politics. I wasn't meant for it. I wanted to go on quietly with what I could do from a scientific point of view. But it was impossible for me in a gathering like that to pull out and say, no, I don't want it. So I had to accept it. The result was that at the election I never made a speech, which is a very wonderful thing really, not to make a speech to tell them how good you are. And, uh, I, uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the curious part of it was that this wasn't my tribe. My tribe is the Atiyawa tribe of, of Taranaki. And the Ngāpuis were our enemies, as a matter of fact. The Ngāpuis of the North were the enemies of everybody because they got those guns and swept right around the North Island. So it was a most extraordinary thing for the support to come from the chiefs. At all events, they uh, supported it, and I got in for that election, by-election of 1909. I served three years, and then I wanted to get out of it. But uh, my supporters, two of my main supporters, said to me, you know, you got in on a sympathy vote the last election. What about having a fight? And I suppose little Irish and little Maori in me responded to that sort of idea. So we fought out the next election as a good uh, fight. And I got in again. And I was, uh, you remember when the, uh, when, uh, there were complications in Parliament, and Sir Joseph Ward resigned from the leadership of the Liberal Party, and Tom Mackenzie was uh, made uh, Prime Minister. And when Tom Mackenzie was made Prime Minister, of course, all the previous Cabinet members cha changed over, new ones were put in, and Sir Anangata, who is a uh, Minister in the Cabinet, uh, representing the Maori people, he retired, and I took his place. And you know that most excellent government that really would have done quite a lot, never had the opportunity of, do it, of doing it. I think we only lasted about three months. But for three, mo <laughs> but for three months I enjoyed the title of the Honorable Terangi Hero, Minister representing the native race, Minister for the Cook Islands, Minister for for uh, government life insurance and, and fire department and, uh, and uh, public trust. Things that I knew nothing at all about, but I was quite able to sign my name to the appropriate papers during, during that short period. Now, that was an accident. And uh, at the end of the, my six-year period, I hope I'm not boring you by reading <laughs>
I want just merely to show you how accidents happen. He taonga kōrero neha, a recording of Te Rangihirua, Peter Buck, from 1949. He spoke at a civic reception in Dunedin. Hirua died in 1951, just two years after that was recorded.